It's the 25th of February in the year of our salvation, 2008, and this is Father Z with another podcast. In this podcast, we are going to drill into the thorny issue of communion in the hand. And to do so, we are going to hear the words of His Excellency Archbishop Malcolm Ranjit, who is, at this time, the Secretary for the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments. We'll also be hearing from Thomas E. Woods, Jr., from a new book of his called Sacred Then and Sacred Now, The Return of the Old Latin Mass. And I'll have some other comments along the way. So let's get right down to the work. is one of those widespread phenomena which we unfortunately have to associate, uh, I'm afraid, with the with the Novus Ordo. It certainly isn't uh, a practice associated with the older foreign mass as it was before the council. Uh, yeah, it's, it's associated really with the Novus Ordo, it has to be said, especially when the Novus Ordo is celebrated in a style that follows more a hermeneutic of rupture uh, with our Roman tradition, rather than a hermeneutic of continuity. Of course, there are places where the Novus Ordo is, is celebrated, where communion in the hand is not the practice, but those places are really as rare as hen's teeth. Uh, for the most part, if you have the Novus Ordo being celebrated, most people are going to be receiving communion in the hand, in most places. And I think it can be argued rather soundly that communion in the hand has resulted in millions and of Catholics uh, being weakened in their proper sense of reverence for the real presence in the Eucharist, and also probably uh, weakened in their understanding of the distinction between the ordained priest and the priesthood of all the baptized, the priesthood that the laity share in. So communion in the hand is one of those things that uh, has weakened our, our Catholic sense, a sense of who we are. And it also, communion in the hand, I think, greatly expands the risk not only of just weakening our faith, but also of direct profanation of the Eucharist. I mean, irreverence toward the Eucharist. Not, you know, not just neglect, but also irreverence. Uh, for example, people uh, have sometimes taken hosts away improperly. Uh, we have all heard stories about posts being found in, in churches and missalettes and in pews and outside and people taking hosts home, uh, people doing things very improper with hosts too, even selling them for sacrilegious reasons. 
Uh, but we also know that particles of the host, not just the whole host itself, but maybe even particles of the host are being scattered around irreverently uh, because they fall off of people's hands or might therefore adhere to their clothing when they absently, absent-mindedly just wipe their, their hands upon their, their clothing or maybe they you know, dig into their to a purse or something like that. Uh, it, it, of course, this is all very unconscious, uh, but it's a neglect that comes, even if it comes unconsciously, is not a good thing because that means that people have failed to render due reverence uh, to the Eucharistic species, which we are bound to show. So if they're doing unconscious things that give, you know, that harm in some way, uh, the reverence due to the Blessed Sacrament, then we failed. And communion in the hand also has led to that. Now, every Catholic, by the time he or she is of the age to receive Holy Communion for the first time, uh, sometimes we say that's around the age of reason, around seven years old or so, ought to have been taught that the Lord Jesus is really and truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, in each recognizable fragment of a host or each droplet of the precious blood, even the very smallest. If we can see it, we can see what it is, then Christ is really truly present. Catholics ought to know that the Eucharistic presence of Christ begins at the moment of consecration during Holy Mass and remains as long as the Eucharistic species, either the host or the precious blood, uh, continue in the 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 appearance of of the accidents of bread and wine. So as long as you can see what they are and they haven't become corrupted in some way, then the Eucharistic presence is still really there. And as we learn from the Council of Trent, remember just because uh, just because we've had a couple of councils since Trent, it doesn't mean that what Trent taught is is outdated, as the Council of Trent says, and the. The matter of fact, the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church repeats, Christ is present whole and entire in each of the species and whole and entire in each of their parts in such a way that the breaking of the bread does not divide Christ. This is all to say that even in the fragments that we find, Christ is really and truly present. And we can mention the Catechism of the Catholic Church is a very modern thing, but the Roman Catechism of the Council of Trent, which is still a valuable, valuable and good uh, catechism, says, uh, and I quote, Christ, whole and entire, is contained not only under either species, but also in each particle of either species. Each, says St. Augustine, receives Christ the Lord, and he is entire in each portion. He is not diminished by being given to many, but gives himself whole and entire to each. The body of our Lord is contained whole and entire under the least particle of bread. So, how do we approach or handle or deal with the Eucharistic species? Well, I propose that we should have the greatest of respect and care for everything having to do with the Eucharist. As a matter of fact, I would put this in the category of fear and trembling. We should have a sense of fear and trembling, of reverential awe, when approaching the mystery of the Lord really and truly present in, in, in the host and in the precious blood. Reverence has to be shown to even the tiniest fragments that fall from a host or adhere to you know hands or objects. You know, in, you know for so many centuries, uh, the rubrics of of holy mass required that priests would 
after the consecration of the host would keep their thumb and index finger together because those were the two uh, the forefingers that you were used to to handle the host just in case there should be some small fragments of the host that it adhered to the priest's fingers so he'd keep them closed and you know, held together so that the little fragments wouldn't fall uh, somewhere where they shouldn't be and so they're whenever they uncover the chalice you know they'll clean their little fingers off over the the, the cup of the chalice or they would make sure that their fingers being kept together all the time were kept within the limits of the corporal the little cloth spread on the altar under where the host and where the chalices lest any little fragments of the host fall someplace where they can't be easily found you know recovered and treated with great reverence so if there's a risk of profanation, even when the host is handled by the priest in the proper way, we have to ask the question of why we would want to increase the risk of profanation by increasing the number of people who are going to handle the host. Why increase chances for a host to be dropped or stolen for sacrilegious purposes? And that really does happen, by the way. Why should we increase the opportunity for fragments to wind up on clothing or on the floor or anywhere else. And let's not even get into the fact that communion in the hand really means giving yourself holy communion, which is absolutely forbidden for anyone except the priest who himself is celebrating Mass. So I guess you can tell by now that I'm not a great fan of communion in the hand, but some people are, and they will defend communion in the hand uh, with a couple of different arguments. Uh, some people will say, well, you know, we're, we're all grown-up people now. We don't have to, you know, in this day and age, we're not supposed to kneel as if, you know, we're some kind of serfs in front of a feudal lord. We should be able to stand up and, uh, and with dignity and so forth. And, well, uh, yes, that's fine. But, you know, according to human psychology, a certain measure of familiarity breeds contempt, and we need these bodily postures, such as kneeling and receiving, receiving humbly in the tongue, to reinforce in us something about our Catholic identity and what we really believe about what's going on in, the, in receiving Holy Communion. Uh, some people who defend the practice of communion in the hand uh, will also make uh, an argument that it is very ancient, and therefore, I guess, you know, really good. It's a funny thing that you know, both some kinds of traditionalists and also some sorts of progressivists will use the argument that you know, just because something is really old, it's really good. Well, sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's not true because you can cherry-pick little things that are old that maybe had to be improved upon because Holy Church is a living church. Then we come through reflection to change our understanding and deepen our understanding and therefore change our practices. They make our practices better to adhere to the mystery of the things that we're dealing with. But I digress. Anyway, uh, Cyril of Jerusalem, uh, saint, father, doc doctor of the church, uh, wrote in 386, wrote, quote, Make a throne of your hands in which to receive the king. Close quote. Of course, he goes on to warn about fragments which might remain on your hands, uh, and goes on to explain that just as you wouldn't let gold dust fall to the ground, so you should take even greater care when it's a question of the body of the Lord. And uh, the, co the issue of communion in the hand, even in the East, 
uh, it was not widespread. For example, St. Basil the Great, who died in 379, says that uh, to receive communion by one's own hand is only permitted in times of persecution, or as was the case with monks out in the desert when there wasn't any priest available to, to give it to, to them directly. Then they could take some by the hand that was left uh, with them and receive it by the hand that way. That, you can check letter 93 of Basil the Great on that. Communion in the hand was not widespread in ancient time. It certainly wasn't uh, the practice in Rome. In Rome, as a matter of fact, we have the testimony of Sixtus I in the 2nd century who warned that people shouldn't touch even the sacred vessels, much less to host. And in Rome also, Pope uh, Leo the Great uh, and uh, Gregory the Great testify that communion was received on the tongue. Leo the Great, as a matter of fact, he dies in, in 461, uh, when he was commenting on the Gospel of John, 6th chapter, he talks about communion in the mouth is the current usage. He says in, in Sermon 91, he says, One receives in the mouth what one believes by faith. You see, there's a connection between what we believe and then our outward practices of worship. That's that lex orandi, lex credendi thing. On the one hand, we have it in the texts of prayers. If we believe a certain way, then we will express ourselves in words a certain way. But that also goes with, with actions, too, doesn't it? If we believe a certain way, then we will pray a certain way, even in, in physical postures and gestures. And receiving in the mouth, uh, as Leo the Great says, is a reflection of what we believe by faith about the Eucharist. But I think we have to say that the real promoters of, of the real foundation for communion in the hand comes from the Protestant revolutionaries who were very um, anti-Catholic in notions about the real presence. I mean, they denied the real presence. They denied the sacrifice of the Mass. They denied the, the, the distinction between the ordained priest and the priesthood of the baptized. And so this is the real foundation for modern uh, communion in the hand. Those who sympathize with and real pr really promote communion in the hand are really sympathizing, demonstrating a certain sympathy with the concerns of the of the, the Protestant revolt. But enough of these preliminary comments. I could go on and on. Uh, we should get now down into drilling into this question of communion in the hand. Uh, through the contributions, recent contributions of Archbishop Ranjit and also Thomas Woods. Let's hear Archbishop Ranjit first. We'll hear his foreword from uh, the book recently published by the Vatican Press, the Libreria Editrice Vaticana, by an auxiliary bishop in Kazakhstan, Athanasius Schneider. The book is entitled in Italian, Dominus Est, Riflessioni di un Vescovo dell'Asia Centrale sulla Sacra Comunione, which means, it is the Lord, reflections of a bishop of Central Asia on Holy Communion. Archbishop Ranjit uh, writes about the, in the foreword, uh, especially talking about uh, the necessity of bodily postures to help reinforce our faith, and therefore he talks about kneeling uh, in church, but also he addresses the issue of communion in the hand. Uh, so we're going to jump right into about the middle of this forward and hear what Archbishop Ranjit has to say about communion in the hand. And 
transubstantiated into the body of Christ and wine into the blood of Christ, God among us, is to be greeted with wonder, reverence, and an immense attitude of humble adoration. Pope Benedict XVI points out that receiving the Eucharist means adoring him whom we receive. Only in adoration can a profound and genuine reception mature. Sacramentum Caritatis 66 Following this tradition, it is clear that it became coherent and indispensable to take actions and attitudes of the body and spirit, which make it easier to enter into silence, recollection, and the humble acceptance of our poverty in the face of the infinite greatness and holiness of the one who comes to meet us in the Eucharistic species. The best way to express our sense of reverence to the Lord in Mass is to follow the example of Peter, who, as the Gospel tells us, threw himself on his knees before the Lord, and said, Lord, depart from me, for I am a sinner. Luke 5, verse 8. As we see in some churches now, this practice is decreasing, and those responsible not only require that the faithful should receive Holy Eucharist standing, but even eliminate all kneelers, forcing the faithful to sit or stand, even during the elevation and adoration of the sacred species. It is ironic that such measures have been taken in some dioceses by those responsible for liturgy, or in churches by pastors, without even the smallest amount of consultation of the faithful, even though today, more than ever, there is an environment desiring democracy in the church. At the same time, speaking of communion in the hand, it must be recognized that the practice was improperly and quickly introduced in some quarters of the church shortly after the council, changing the age-old practice and becoming the regular practice for the whole church. They justified the change, saying that it better reflected the gospel or the ancient practice of the church. Some, to justify this practice, referred to the words of Jesus, Take and eat. Mark 14, verse 22, and Matthew 26, verse 26. Whatever the reasons for this practice, we cannot ignore what is happening worldwide where this practice has been implemented. This gesture has contributed to a gradual weakening of the attitude of reverence toward the sacred Eucharistic species, whereas the previous practice had better safeguarded that sense of reverence. There instead arose an alarming lack of recollection and a general spirit of carelessness. We see communicants, who often return to their seats as if nothing extraordinary has happened. In many cases, one cannot discern that sense of seriousness and inner silence that must signal the presence of God in the soul. Then there are those who take away the sacred species to keep them as souvenirs, those who sell or worse yet, who take them away to desecrate it in satanic rituals. Even in large concelebrations, also in Rome, several times the sacred species has been found thrown onto the ground. This situation not only leads us to reflect upon a serious loss of faith, but also on outrageous offenses. The Pope speaks of the need not only to understand the true and deep meaning of the Eucharist, but also to celebrate it with dignity and reverence. He says that we must be aware of gestures and posture, such as kneeling during the central moments of the Eucharistic prayer. Sacramentum Caritati 65. Also, speaking about the reception of Holy Communion, he invites everyone to 
quote, make every effort to ensure that the simple act preserves its importance as a personal encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ in the sacrament. Sacramentum Caritatis, 50. Now I think that it is high time to review and reevaluate such good practices, and, if necessary, to abandon the current practice that was not called for by Sacrosanctum Concilium, nor by the Fathers, but was only accepted after its illegitimate introduction in some countries. Now, more than ever, we must help the faithful to renew a deep faith in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharistic species, in order to strengthen the life of the Church, and defend it in the midst of dangerous distortions of the faith that this situation continues to cause. The reasons for this move must not be so much academic, but pastoral, spiritual as well as liturgical. In short, what builds better faith. Monsignor Schneider, in this sense, shows a commendable courage because he has been able to grasp the true meaning of the words of St. Paul, quote, but everything should be done for building up. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26. Those were the comments of Archbishop Malcolm Ranjit, Secretary of the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, in his foreword to a book by a bishop in Kazakhstan, his Reflections on the Eucharist. Now, moving over to the other side of the world, Thomas Woods has a new little book called Sacred Then and Sacred Now, The Return of the Old Latin Mass. Uh, the book is a very rapid read, and though it has a few uh, gaps in it, in my view, uh, it is rather helpful for getting one's head around some of the issues concerning the older form of Mass. It could be a very good book to give to someone who really doesn't understand what's up with Samorum Pontificum and the Old Mass. Good, nice little introduction to the issues and, and what the Old Mass is. Uh, in any event, Woods has a chapter on issues associated with the Novus Ordo, which, of course, has to include communion in the hand. So let's hear what he has to say. Listen especially to his comments about the origins of communion in the hand and how it came to be approved by the Holy See. Chapter 4. Important Features of the Extraordinary Form Neither Vatican II nor the Missal of 1970 envisioned or prescribed communion standing, communion in the hand, Eucharistic ministers, or female altar servers, though each of these has become common in Catholic parishes over the years. 
None of these things occur in the extraordinary form of the Mass. None is required in the ordinary form either, but in the extraordinary form they are absolutely excluded. Communion on the Tongue Celebrations according to the 1962 Missal take for granted that the communicant is to receive Holy Communion on the tongue rather than in the hand. Reception of Holy Communion on the tongue was the norm throughout the Latin Rite until 1969, when the Holy See issued an indult permitting the practice in the most difficult and disobedient Catholic countries. Later the indult was expanded. Italy did not have it until the 1980s, and Poland only two years ago. Dietrich von Hildebrand, one of the twentieth century's great moral theologians and Catholic writers, and deeply admired by Popes John Paul II and Benedict XVI, warned that communion in the hand could have the effect of undermining people's faith in the real presence. Quote, to be allowed to touch the consecrated host with unanointed hands is in no way presented to the faithful as an awe-inspiring privilege. Close quote. He wrote in a 1973 article called, Communion in the Hand Should Be Rejected. Quote, it becomes the normal form of receiving communion, and this fosters an irreverent attitude, and thus corrodes faith in the real bodily presence of Christ. Close quote. The late theologian Father John Hardin, S.J., urged in 1997 that, quote, Whatever you can do to stop communion in the hand will be blessed by God. Close quote. In the same way that a deeper understanding of the theology of the Eucharist and the extraordinary gift God has given us helped to foster the practice of Eucharistic adoration, a fuller appreciation of Christ's real presence also led over time to the rejection of communion in the hand and the adoption of communion on the tongue. As the Congregation for Divine Worship noted in 1969, quote, Later, with a deepening understanding of the truth of the Eucharistic mystery, of its power and of the presence of Christ in it, there came a greater feeling of reverence towards this sacrament, and a deeper humility was felt to be demanded when receiving it. Thus the custom was established of the minister placing a particle of consecrated bread on the tongue of the communicant. Close quote. It was no accident that the 16th century Protestants like Martin Bucer insisted so strongly on the reception of communion in the hand. Although Protestant opinion varied, the consensus held that Catholic teaching on the real presence amounted to gross idolatry. Encouraging communion in the hand, they believed, undermined two Catholic teachings at once, the ministerial priesthood and the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. First, the distribution of communion in the hand implied that there was nothing special about the ordained priest, since laymen had just as much right to touch the Eucharist as he did. Second, receiving the host in the hand emphasized that the Eucharist was ordinary bread, for if it is nothing more than ordinary bread, why shouldn't a layman be able to receive it directly in his hand? That the practice of communion in the hand was observed well over a millennium ago is virtually irrelevant. As Pope Pius XII explained in his 1947 encyclical Mediator Dei, the desire to introduce novel practices into Catholic worship when the existing practice is venerable and hallowed by tradition is at odds with a normal and healthy sensus catholicus. 
May we apply this reproof to those Catholics in the 1960s who disobediently resurrected the discarded practice centuries after communion on the tongue had become the established norm? In fact, Bishop Juan Rodolfo Laise of San Luis, Argentina, who announced in 1996 that communion in the hand was to be forbidden in his diocese, drew this very conclusion, citing this teaching of Pius XII in support of his policy. The bishop's decision was subsequently approved by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, which informed him that, quote, in deciding to maintain immutable the tradition of distributing Holy Communion in the mouth, you have acted in conformity with the law, and therefore have not broken with ecclesial communion. When Pope Paul VI grudgingly allowed communion in the hand in 1969, his permission came in the context of a letter urging that the traditional practice of communion on the tongue be retained. Allowance for communion in the hand was made as a concession for parts of the world where disobedience on this point had already reached epidemic proportions. The pontiff thus allowed the bishops to permit the practice if they thought it best the best way to cope with the situation. We read in Memoriale Domini, the Congregation for Divine Worship's 1969 instruction on the manner of distributing Holy Communion, that a, quote, change in a matter of such moment based on a most ancient and venerable tradition, does not merely affect discipline. It carries certain dangers with it, which may arise from the new manner of administering Holy Communion, the danger of a loss of reverence for the august sacrament of the altar, of profanation, of adulterating the true doctrine. Close quote. For these and other reasons, the congregation explained, quote, The Holy Father has decided not to change the existing way of administering Holy Communion to the faithful. Close quote. The congregation's warnings continued. Quote, this method of distributing Holy Communion on the tongue must be retained, taking the present situation of the Church in the entire world into account, not merely because it has many centuries of tradition behind it, but especially because it expresses the faithful's reverence for the Eucharist. Further, the practice which must be considered traditional ensures, more effectively, that Holy Communion is distributed with the proper respect, decorum, and dignity. It removes the danger of profanation of the sacred species, in which, in a unique way, Christ, God and man, is present whole and entire, substantially and continually. Lastly, it ensures that diligent carefulness about the fragments of consecrated bread which the Church has always recommended. The Apostolic See therefore emphatically urges bishops, priests, and laity to obey carefully the law which is still valid and which has again been confirmed. It urges them to take account of the judgment given by the majority of Catholic bishops of the right now in use in the liturgy of the common good of the Church. Close quote. These were the urgings and warnings that preceded the Holy See's reluctant allowance for communion in the hand in those countries where this forbidden practice had become widespread. As we saw in Chapter 3, the 1962 Missal contains an edifying and very beautiful instruction to the priest. From the moment of the consecration until the final ablutions, he is to hold thumb and forefinger together in order to prevent the profanation of any particle of the sacred species. If for centuries the Church taught her priests to show such fastidious devotion to Christ, 
then Father Hardin's desire to discourage communion in the hand becomes a matter of simple common sense. For if priests were once concerned about Eucharistic fragments just between their thumbs and forefingers, so much greater is the problem presented by the layman who takes the entire host into his outstretched hand. That was from Thomas Wood's Sacred Then and Sacred Now, The Return of the Old Mass, a brand new book. Now, After that, I would add a few more comments. I think that there are some important things that should be done to repair our Catholic identity, and they need to be done quickly. And among them would be returning slowly but surely to an ad orientum worship. Uh, another would be uh, the promotion of the proper bodily gestures at Mass and proper bodily positions such as kneeling. Another would be the greater use of Latin and the treasury of sacred music. As a matter of fact, all these things are already pretty much prescribed by the, the Council and also by liturgical law today, but I digress. Another of these things would be a return to a silent canon in the Novus Ordo. Right now in the Novus Ordo it's to be said aloud. But even uh, Cardinal Ratzinger, writing some years ago, spoke of the the good things that could come from having a silent canon. As a matter of fact, in the Novus Ordo, with the additional readings and so forth, the additional prayers, uh, sometimes you can get the impression that the Novus Ordo is just about talking, 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 constant talking, with not so much room actually given over to silence, even though silence is promoted. Perhaps a silent canon could help with that. Surely a more widespread use of the older form of Mass will help all of these things I've mentioned uh, come back up, even organically develop back into the Novus Ordo, perhaps. Uh, the older form of Mass is going to exert an inexorable gravitational pull on the Novus Ordo. However, one of the things that we really need to correct, and very quickly, I think, is the practice of communion in the hand, which was introduced really uh, abusively into the Church and then given uh, some kind of formal approval only in the face of a massive disobedience, which I think was an imprudent thing to do, but it was done, and now it's the law of the church, and uh, it was uh, it's now become the right that some people have uh, to receive. 
And so in that uh, in that sense, uh, because in most places communion in the hand has the approval of the Holy See and of the conferences of bishops, uh, people have rights in this regard. And so it would be wrong to deny them their rights and refuse them Holy Communion in the hand when it is a reasonable request and there is little risk of profanation. And I think you could debate about the risk of profanation in this. Uh, some would say that any communion in the hand is too great a risk of profanation, but still, nevertheless, we have to balance that against the rights people have and the widespread practice that we have, and the fact that people very innocently have been taught uh, to receive this way and have never had the experience of receiving in the tongue and never learned about that. So I think we have to be very prudent in anything that we do having to do with communion in the hand, because people have rights. And if they have rights in the newer form of Mass, the Novus Ordo, they also have the same right in the older form of Mass. If people would present themselves at the older form of Mass in the traditional Latin Mass and, and put out their, you know, very innocently put out their hands to receive Holy Communion in the hand, they, they really mustn't be refused because the present law of the Church says that they can receive that way, even though that wasn't the practice uh, at the time when the older form of Mass was the only form of Mass we had. So we have to be very prudent about these things, very, very careful. Uh, we need, really, uh, explicit instruction about how to receive communion reverently in any matter, manner, either in the hand or on the tongue, with explanations of the reasons for the you know, signs of reverence that we show, and why we do what we do, and what we actually believe in the Blessed Sacrament. We need greater preaching on the Blessed Sacrament, and we also need greater reverence on the part of priests for handling the sacred species. And that those signs of reverence must be obvious and visible to people, because if they don't see the priest handling the Blessed Sacrament properly or reverently, they themselves won't be motivated to do so, will they? We need a greater uh, instruction about Holy Communion, what it is, what it's all about, what the effects are in our soul. Because this uh, this combination of the wider, uh, wider use of the older form of Mass, together with these other things that I'm talking about, will slowly begin to correct our understanding of Mass, and of the Eucharist, and of the priesthood, and of the role of laity, and in fact who we are as Catholics in an ever more turbulent world. Now, this has been a real concern uh, for the Holy See for quite some time. Uh, during the pontificate of John Paul II, uh, when you know, Francis Cardinal Rinze was prefect, as he still is right now at the time I'm speaking, uh, the Congregation for Divine Worship and Discipline of the Sacraments, uh, responding to a call from, from the Holy Father, John Paul II, uh, issued a document on liturgical abuses a document called Redemptioni Sacramentum. This is a very important document, uh, even though today there are a lot of people who are pretending it doesn't exist. It's very important and we should pay it heed. And there are a few paragraphs about Holy Communion. It deals with the issue of kneeling and also of receiving on the tongue or in the hand. And we should listen to three of these paragraphs. Paragraphs 91 to 93.
91. In distributing Holy Communion, it is to be remembered that the sacred ministers may not deny the sacraments to those who seek them in a reasonable manner, are rightly disposed, and are not prohibited by law from receiving them. Hence, any baptized Catholic who is not prevented by law must be admitted to Holy Communion. Therefore, it is not licit to deny Holy Communion to any of Christ's faithful solely on the grounds, for example, that the person wishes to receive the Eucharist kneeling or standing. 92. Although each of the faithful always has the right to receive Holy Communion on the tongue, at his choice, if any communicant should wish to receive the sacrament in the hand, in areas where the bishop's conference with the recognitio of the apostolic see has given permission, the sacred host is to be administered to him or her. However, special care should be taken to ensure that the host is consumed by the communicant in the presence of the minister, so that no one goes away carrying the Eucharistic species in his hand. If there is a risk of profanation, then Holy Communion should not be given in the hand to the faithful. 93. The Communion Plate for the Communion of the Faithful should be retained, so as to avoid the danger of the Sacred Host or some fragment of it falling. That was from Redemptionis Sacramentum, paragraphs 91 to 93. I liked that last little point about the communion pattern or communion plate, which is, always was placed underneath the chin of people receiving Holy Communion, but which could even now be uh, placed beneath the hands of people who are going to receive Holy Communion, because it's a concrete sign that we believe that something very special is happening, and that should any little fragment fall, that it remains to be, it remains important. It's something that could make people think. You know, the, the psychology of our Catholic faith is really important. You know, when you when they made huge changes to the liturgy, that had been unchanged really for so long. It gave so many people the impression that, well, if this can change, anything can change. When the obligation for women, for example, not to wear chapel veils in church was removed, that had the psychological impact on our identity as Catholics. When the fasting laws were changed, that had an impact in our identity as Catholics. When things like bells and statues and incense and communion patents were removed from churches. That had an impact on who we believed we were as Catholics. So the reintroduction of these little helps to our Catholic psychology, our Catholic self-identification are very, very important. And among the principal things that are going to help us rebuild our Catholic identity is going to revolve around how we treat the Eucharistic species, both in adoration of the Eucharist through exposition and reverential adoration even during Mass, both at the time of the consecration and elevation, but also at the time when Catholics return to their pew after having received Holy Communion to, to kneel in, in adoration and prayer at the great mystery, the awe and transcendence that they should, should feel should be visible to all. 
our understanding of who we are as Catholics depends on so very much small little things perhaps in themselves but each one of them important and when taken all together could have a great impact uh, for positive changes in Holy Mother Church so with that I'm going to wrap this up uh, it's been a long podcast, but we have covered a lot of ground about something very, very important. I hope you'll come over to the blog, wdtprs.com. That's Whiskey, Delta, Tango, Papa Romeo, Sierra.com. What does the prayer really say? You can participate in discussions about Holy Communion in the hand, even there. So God bless you. Come around again, and please pray for me as I will for you. <laughs>